Okay, if you have your Bible, go with me to Philippians chapter 4, where we're going to begin this morning. So when you go to Philippians chapter 4, you look at verse 1, you see the word therefore. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that I may show you or say to you, stand firm in the Lord. We're coming to a chapter 4 where most of us are pretty much aware of that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That's If anybody knows anything about Philippians chapter 4, we know Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. But what's interesting this morning, when you come to Philippians chapter 4, you have to deal with the word therefore. So there's a lot of things that he's instructed in chapter 1, 2, and 3 that he's now going to bring along and say, okay, hey, I put this stuff before you and now I'm going to say some things to you in chapter 4. So this morning, when we look at chapter 4, there's going to be two things that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is, there's some problems in Philippi. So as we're going to read down, you're going to read two ladies' names. Uh, We can spend hours deciding how you want to pronounce them. But as we read those two ladies' names, there's some issues. And so Paul's going to address them. Then you're going to get a chance to see where most of us spend most of our time is, circumstances can make you better or bitter. So when you read Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, you have to deal with your circumstances. And are you going to take the circumstances that God has allowed you to walk, and are you going to allow those circumstances to make you better? Or are you going to become bitter in those circumstances? So let's go to the first one. You're going to see some problems in the church. Before Paul addresses the problem, he says these words, Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's reminding them of a couple things. He's reminding them of their citizenship. He's reminding them if they're going to stand firm, that they need to know Christ as Lord. And I realize you live in a society where it's just easy to believe, Yeah, Jesus, I accept you forgiveness of my sins. That's important. Salvation only comes through the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What would be interesting is, I realize that we're in church, and so if I would ask you to raise your hand, obviously, yes, I believe Jesus is the payment of forgiveness of my sin. Most of us would do that. Then how many of us would raise our hand and say, okay, we're going to let you be Lord of my life. We're going to allow you, God, who sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me to tell me what to do. God, I'm going to allow you to be in charge of my life. And so Paul's already told him in, ver- in chapter 3, to know Christ as my Lord meant something to Paul, that he was going to be willing to forget the past, that he's going to be willing to move forward and press on towards the goal, as you read in Philippians chapter 3. Reminded them there were citizenships. Reminded them not to complain. Reminded them not to only find interest in themselves, but also in others. What can we do for others? Those are other things that you can think about as you think about stand firm. Also, verse chapter 1, verse 6, probably one of my favorite Bible verses. Be confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The day that I said yes to Jesus, the day you said yes to Jesus, he began a good work in you. Now I want you to take your Bible and go to Psalm 139. Take your Bible and go to Psalm 139. As you consider in the day and age that you live, or as you as a parent, or as you as 
an individual just attending church this morning, think about the whole concept of standing firm. This passage of Scripture just means a lot to me. Uh, Psalm 139, pick it up in verse 13. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So this morning as you or as an individual thinking about the concept of standing firm, remind yourself that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Remind yourself that your days were ordained, were written in a book before one of them came to be. So wherever you go today or tomorrow, whoever's going to show up at the courthouse, it's ordained by God. God already knew it. He knew who was going to be there. And so wherever you have tomorrow, it's ordained by God. I realize that most of us this morning when we woke up, we didn't walk in front of the mirror and, say, and look in the mirror and say, wow, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Woo! This is awesome. None of us did that this morning. So I just wonder as you think about Paul as he writes words to us, reminds us of citizenship, reminds us he began a good work in us, reminds us it's a process that he'll become Lord of our lives. But will we even stop and remind ourselves this morning that we were made by Him, for Him, He ordained us. Allow that to sink in who we are, Dad. Start with us. As we run around in the world trying to find all this stuff and value, just stop and say, wait a minute. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me. God knit me together in my mother's womb. That's awesome. All of my days were ordained. How do you grasp that? Will you allow that to even soak into who you are as a person, ordained? All of them. Before one. Before one even existed. How vast is this thought? It would outnumber the grain of things. A lot of saying, Lord. God's thinking about you and I. As you go down from this passage of Scripture, you go down to chapter 2, or verse 2, not chapter 2. Back to Philippians 4, verse 2. Paul writes a letter to the church of Philippi. What's interesting and what most of us haven't really thought about is when Paul wrote this letter from prison, he's going to send it back with somebody, and somebody's going to stand up in front of the church of Philippi, and they're going to read this letter. Now, I'm sure there are times that you know, be interesting, but I'm sure these two ladies weren't thinking about their names being in this letter. But there's some issues, there's some problems, and for whatever reason, we don't know, we can speculate for hours, but we're not going to speculate this morning. All we know is, in Philippians chapter 4, there are issues with these two women. I don't know what the issues are, okay, that's not really important, but I want you to see something about these ladies, Okay. I plead with these two ladies, so you can figure out how you want to pronounce it, and we'll go on from there. To agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women 
who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose name are written in the book of life. It's interesting to me, as you address these problems, these two individuals, and probably some other ones, there's some issue in the church that they're contending more for the issue than they are with the gospel. You know, also it's interesting, Paul wants us to know very clearly that these are Christians. Their names are written in the book of life. And isn't it interesting, as you read a letter in the church of Philippi, that these people have problems and they call themselves Christians and they're more interested in the problem than they are the gospel. They're more interested in whatever the issue is, instead of contending for the faith, being reminded that they've been rescued by the gospel, now they're arguing over an issue. What is it? I don't know. But how many of us are sitting in this building today we're more issue-orientated than we are gospel-orientated? We get more excited. I'm sure we would get more excitement if we decided we're going to change it from, you know, from red to orange. The carpet's going to get changed from red to orange in two weeks. We would have hundreds of emails. We don't like orange. Tough. Get over it. We're, we're defending for the gospel. We're not worried about carpet belt. Well, it's not going to match the pews. Sorry, get over it. Because the gospel is more important to us than the carpet color. What's your issue? What are you more excited about or contending for? And your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and it's not about Jesus. What gets your heart rate going more than Jesus? And I realize that we're not going to write another passage of Scripture and we're not going to write it, we're not going to add another book to the Bible. But if I'm these two ladies sitting in this church, I would be extremely embarrassed. That Paul's in prison and he hears about whatever they're arguing over and he sends this letter back to them and the churchgoers that were sitting there, can you imagine? Hey, Paul wrote us a letter. How many read the letter before they stood up? And how many heard about the letter before they even stood up and read the letter? And now they come back to their service where they're going to gather from the Apostle Paul, going to get words from him, and those two ladies are sitting there. I'm sure they must want to slide down from their seat and exit church as fast as they could. Because however long we have time on this earth, their names will always be remembered for the issues. When they had the opportunity to be remembered for the gospel, they chose the issues. So this morning as you're sitting here, you probably now are going to read on, and we kind of have like this little paragraph break. I kind of like to leave it all together. So I don't... I want to go now from 4, I won't read it all, but down to 9. I think 4 through 9 needs to be one chunk of Scripture. And it's not that we can't talk about finding brothers, but it's interesting that Paul addresses the issues, and then he tells the people that are listening, and maybe just these ladies, hey, I want to help you with the issues, so I'm going to instruct you with some things. I'm going to remind you to rejoice in the Lord always, And I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not about circumstances. My joy exists because I'm in the Lord knowing that my joy comes from knowing an unchanging relationship with the Sovereign Lord. If those ladies would have grasped that there was an unchanging relationship with Christ... 
Maybe the issue wasn't even showed up in, in Philippians chapter 4. Maybe we could have just jumped all over to 4, 4 verse 13 and said, hey, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But it's not. That's not the way it's going to be. And it's also fascinating to me that you write, rejoice in the Lord, and you're the one in prison. So Paul's in the one in prison, and he's writing back to the church at Philippi and to these individuals that are issue-oriented and say, hey, by the way, I want you to rejoice in the Lord, not about being right, not about your issue. Rejoice in the Lord. Allow the gospel saving grace to affect who you are and give up on the issues. If these two would have stepped back and said, you know what, Jesus, we're in love with you for what you've done for us. We don't care, and I don't know if it was the carpet color. We don't care about the carpet color. Because Jesus, you rescued us from that. Interesting is he offers some help. He says some other things to them. Look at verse in, in, in uh, verse. Five, let your gentleness be evident to all. Do you have a non-retaliatory spirit? Are you a person of mercy? Is it evident to all that you are gentle? I always interested when I'm here on a Sunday morning when we talk about certain things you'll see spouses bump the other spouse. Or you'll see when you say something about parenting, you'll see the teenagers look at their parents like, see, you're supposed to be doing this, but you're not. That's what he said, and you're not doing it, okay? And all of us had opportunities to work on this. But can we say to the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I'm rejoicing in you. I don't want to have a retaliatory speech. I don't have to be right. I don't have to have the last word. I don't have to correct you when you say it this way. I told you this morning that I'm guarding the lifeguard chair. Susan came to me and she made a comment. And there was like five things that I really wanted to say back to her. But I've learned from Bob Farmer, whatever you don't say cannot be held against you. So I've said, (laughs) I am not going to say those things back. I heard you very clearly. And I want to respond to you, but I'm not going to respond that way. There was something that the Holy Spirit was doing inside of me saying, you just probably just need to hear that and just go on. And I'll show you what she means in a little while. And we'll get clarification in a little while. I'll teach you what you need to do. All right, I'm listening. So this morning as you gather this morning, and your name is probably written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but is gentleness your thing or is issues your thing? Is being right more important to you or falling in love with Jesus Christ who's willing to die on the cross For your sin. Is having the last word important to you? Or saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. I don't have to correct the situation. Because I want to live a life of gentleness. Here's something that I love in this passage of scripture. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You need to circle those words. Do you realize this morning that you'll never go a place or never be alone will never be anything that you'll ever do ever again when you say yes to Jesus. You will never, ever be alone. The Lord is near. I kind of little, I have a little picture in my mind. GP, God's presence. Always with me. So these people that are having opportunities to issue, where they stop and say, wait a minute. No, the Lord is with me. I don't have to go down this road. Keep on reading. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in 
everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. Communication needs to come from you. There needs to be part of your life where you're saying, okay, God, this is where I am. This is the issues. You need to get it out. I think so many of us have taught, been taught over the years as we're Christians, oh, we just stuff it under the rug. It's not a big deal. But Paul's very clear to this section of Scripture. He's saying to these individuals at the church of Philippi, you need to communicate. Let your request, bring your issues, bring your stuff. Allow God to work. What would have happened if these two ladies would have stepped back and said, okay, God, we've presented our case, and we're going to let you work out the details. We're going to go in a different direction. Their names probably wouldn't be in Philippians chapter 4. It's interesting as you read through this, and I know we're running out of time, so I I want to keep on moving down. But if I'm willing to communicate with God, look what happens, verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he says to this group of people, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What would have happened if these individuals, what would happen if you would take your issue and say, okay, God, you've told me I'm supposed to think about whatever is true. Maybe some of the things that you get most excited about, because if he's saying to us, whatever is true, then, so, then that means somebody, there's lies out there. And how much of our issues are based on a lie, and we haven't even said, okay, God, what's true? When she said to me these words, what's true, God? What do you want from me? I heard her words, but what do you want? Don't let me believe a lie. Show me truth. So this morning as you gathered here, you will face another issue, another issue, another issue. You will have opportunities to stand on soapboxes and say, hey, this is me. But when we come back in order, we have, in order before we have an opportunity to spill out our soapbox, we'll say, oh, wait a minute, is that, is that true? Is that noble? Is that right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? And I'm not saying, guys, these passages of Scripture should be for us because we need to hold our minds captive. And I'm not saying we can't use it from that. But it's interesting to me in the context of where we are. Now, I want to show you one last thing. Circumstances can make you better or bitter. Look at chapter 4, starting with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So, don't know how much of a time gap there is, but maybe this church at Philippi couldn't really communicate or couldn't be involved with Paul or couldn't encourage Paul because they moved him from prison to prison. I don't know that circumstance, but he says to them, I rejoice greatly that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. Paul learned some lessons. How did Paul learn his lessons? Or what did Paul learn? So I learned to be 
Content. You need to highlight that phrase in your Bible. Contentment is a huge thing for us to consider. But what's interesting is to me, Paul learned contentment how? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have known what it is to be in need and I know what it has to be to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in one. Stop there. Circumstances. What does God use? Circumstances. And what's interesting to me, when we as church people, Christians, Christ followers, what are we normally trying to pray for? God remove the circumstances. Only one time in Scripture where I see Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10, if you want to look at this this afternoon, he has the thorn of the flesh. He's seen some amazing things, great revelation. Paul got an opportunity to be very conceited. But God said, wait a minute, I want to work on you. I'll put a thorn in the flesh. I don't know exactly what that was. It was an eye problem. Uh, it was in motions. A lot of people think it was eyes. Whatever the issue, he asked God, would you take this away? What if... What did Jesus say back to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, I am strong. In Paul's weakness, Jesus is glorified. In your situation, will you allow Jesus to be glorified? In your circumstances, will you stop saying, God, this isn't fair. God, why are you doing it this way? Or will you humble yourself before him and say, wait a second, no God, I'm learning a lesson here. I'll learn to be contentment. Here, take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is really kind of a cool verse. Uh, we were doing a study the other night. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Think about the Apostle Paul. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians is asking the church at Ephesus. Pray for me. Not that I will present. (coughs) Not that I will say Lord change my circumstances. Not that I want to get rich God. God get me out of prison. God make my life convenient. God make life fair. No. Paul prays that God would empower him to share the mystery of the gospel so that lives would be changed. I know one thing, that your circumstances will never stop. But you'll have to make a choice. Hebrews is very clear about this. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11, you have these heroes of the faith. Hebrews chapter 12, you read these words. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for what? Does your Bible say us? It's already marked out for you. He has a plan. 
He has a plan to take your circumstances and take you, take you through different things so that you will stop and say, wait a minute, I need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. God, you planned all this. So wherever you are this morning, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Or wherever, wherever we are going to go, whatever the next two weeks looks like, do we know this morning that God has the opportunity to use our circumstances to make you bitter or better? Your choice. I want to show um, just a, a way I want to cl- close this morning. Nancy is going to have a song for us. It's a video that, um, that I want to put on the screen. But as I think about the book of Philippians, God has given me and you an opportunity to live out the Christian life in a very messed up, weird world. In saying that, I'll say to you this morning, do you know him as your Savior? Are you allowing him to work? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Be confident that this very thing that he who began a work, good work in you will be faithful to complete. Philippians chapter 2. It's humility. Will you and your personal relationship with Christ, finding your value, um, in the if statements of, of Philippians chapter 2, will you allow those if statements uh, in Philippians chapter 2 to affect you in such a way that it doesn't matter if Jesus says to you, I want you to be a slave today. If you find comfort from his love, fellowship with his spirit, tenderness, then will you allow yourself to be emptied out the way Jesus did? Or if you stay in Philippians chapter 2, It's really easy to live your life complaining. Philippians chapter 3. Don't tell me you love Jesus. Show us you love Jesus. I realize that we could say to you this morning, hey, I want to ask you for forgiveness. If you want to ask Jesus, are you saved? Yes. How are you saved? By forgiveness of sins. I put my faith in Jesus. Great. But is he Lord of your life? Don't play games here, okay? If there's not transformation taking place in your life, he's not Lord of your life and he's not your Savior. If I'm the same guy today that I was five years ago, something's wrong. There needs to be an ongoing transformation. God help me to be gentle. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not please hear me, not perfection. Transformation. Is he Lord? Are you willing to forsake what's behind you? Are you willing to press on towards the goal? Philippians chapter 4. What's your issue? And will you take your issue and surrender to the authority of the gospel? And will you say, Lord, I can do all things through you who gives me strength? Play that song. <coughs>
Father, thank you for the opportunity that we can gather as a family around your word. Father, you know who needs to say in this room, who needs to say, go ahead and leave me, Father. So, man, I'm praying for you. There be a generation of men that would be more concerned about transformation than anything else. They would humble their hearts before God and say, I belong to you, Jesus. God would raise a generation of ladies where in a society that the outside is what's important that they would know you as father inside. No matter what was said on around them in our society that they would just know that they were fearfully and wonderfully made by you. That raised a generation of teenagers live their lives, not about what career they're going to have, or not about how much money that they have, or not about what job that they want. They would say, well, Jesus, what do you want? So Lord, I know that I'm praying something that's totally against the culture, which is wonderful because I want to see you work. Because I know you're a big God. And I know you didn't send your son just for the fun of it. You sent your son so I could have life today. So we all could have life today. So we could all have hope today. The Holy Spirit, make us a family that it matters. The Word of God is the priority. That we would come to you with our open and honest communication. That we would get better in our circumstances and not bitter. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.